podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday. Very excited. Steven Lassen from Athlon Sports joining us today. We're going to talk about some Big 12 football, get his reactions and thoughts to Dave Aranda as the new head coach at Baylor. Talk about his way too early preseason predictions for Big 12 standings. Can talk about Big 12 coaches, why we both think. Big 12 has the deepest crop of head coaches of any conference. And uh, I'm finally going to get his thoughts on Tom Herman's big staff shuffling. Before we get to that, though, I've seen the biggest news of the week with the Big 12 is what went down in Lawrence between Kansas and Kansas State at the end of the game. The melee that occurred, the fight that broke out. Latest news, obviously the suspensions have been handed down by the Big 12. Two players from both teams be missing some games. Kansas State's James Love will miss eight games. Antonio Gordon will miss three. Kansas, David McCormick will miss two games. And Silvio D'Souza, who you saw in all of the images raising the chair up over his head, will miss 12 games. That means he won't be back until Kansas' regular season finale. And obviously will be around for postseason play, um, assuming he doesn't just decide to shut it down. Look, I was shocked that more players didn't get suspensions. Um, I'm not shocked D'Souza got the worst punishment. The The image of him with the chair lifted above his head is, man, that's, that's hard to get out of your head. And that is, that is not a good look. Uh, I'm glad that his career, Kansas and his season haven't come to an end. I'm glad that he didn't you know, hand down a, a full season suspension. It's not good. Kid's been through a lot and I feel bad for him, but there you have to punish a kid. You have to punish anybody, good person, bad person, whatever, for something like that. I'm glad that it wasn't worse than it was uh, as far as how the fight went. I hate to see it, uh, but uh, 
He has issued a statement. He has issued an apology. Uh, D'Souza has. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can you can find it online. But, uh, you know, quote, I am truly embarrassed by my actions and let everyone down who supported me on my basketball journey. There's no amount of regret that I can express to correct this mistake. Well, if this guy had family members take money in his name, run off with it, uh, he had to go through legal fights to be able to even play at Kansas. He had to deal with people talking about him, talking poorly about him, about him getting paid and taking money and all this stuff. Um, his season hasn't been going as well as, as many thought statistically, and this fight breaks out, and he didn't necessarily start this fight, but he reacted poorly to it. If we can understand it and, and explain away the reasons that he may have led to him making that decision, does it make the decision okay? And it makes the, the, the punishment justifiable. But uh, I hope the kid sticks around. I hope we get to see him again uh, at Kansas uh, playing in the postseason. Uh, again, I am shocked that there weren't more suspensions handed down. Obviously, there's a Kansas State player who was uh, making some uh, some not-so-great comments on Instagram uh, to some Kansas fans that I'm, I'm not going to get into all that. Let's just put it this way. Uh, we, we're going to talk more about this later this week when we do our basketball poll on Monday. Uh, obviously, Andy Mitz will join us, covers Kansas. Uh, I believe we will have a Kansas guest as well to really kind of dig into this. So I, I don't want to talk, talk about it too much more, but it is the big story, and, and well, that sucks. I'm sorry. It's not a good look. It's not a good look for Kansas. It's been a rough year for Kansas. Let's be honest. Um, between the FBI stuff, Snoop Dogg, strippers, now a fight. This hasn't been a banner year for Kansas um, at all. So all that said, do us a favor. If you don't follow us on Twitter, go do it. At 1012podcast, T-E-N, the number 12, the word podcast. Uh, however you listen to this pod, do us a favor. Leave us a rating, five stars if you don't mind, uh, and a review. I would really appreciate it. Uh, and let's get to our interview with, with Steven. This is great. I love it. I always love having him on. He's uh, he's a wealth of information and a ton of fun to talk to. Uh, so sit back, relax, uh, crank the volume up, and enjoy. Very excited to have Steven Lassen from Athlon Sports back on the 1012 today. Steven, welcome back, sir. Hey, Philip. It's great to be back. It's good to be talking with you. It seems just like yesterday we were talking in the preseason, and man, the season went by fast, and uh, here we are already talking 2020. So uh, it should be an interesting uh, offseason for the Big 12. Yeah, I, th- I think it will be. Obviously, there's quite a few changes going on in the conference. Not not a lot as far as head coach, but there is one big one, and I, and I want to start there, obviously, uh, Coach Rule off to the Carolina Panthers in the NFL, and, and in comes new Baylor head coach Dave Aranda, uh, defensive coordinator from LSU, previous head uh, DC for Wisconsin. And I, I don't know a ton about Aranda outside of just the basics. Of he he was the DC at, at LSU. They obviously had a very good defense. Um, he was the DC at Wisconsin for a while, and they had a good defense there as well. Uh, and from what I've read about him, is obviously he's a a bright defensive mind. He's a guy that a lot of people think. It was time for him to, him to get a head coaching job. This was something that was coming. But, you know, the names we'd seen before were like UNLV, um, some some group of five jobs, not necessarily a, a power five job. And one that, as we learned, you know, Baylor can Baylor can pay. Um, Coach Rule was making, was one of the higher paid coaches in the Big 12 during his time there. So obviously Baylor's got some money to throw around. So I, I'm curious from you, how would you grade this hire from Baylor? What do you, what do you think of Dave Aranda's fit at, at Baylor? 
I think it's a strong hire. I think it is one of the best hires of the offseason. Dave Aranda has been successful as a defensive coordinator pretty much at every stop. I mean, you know, you mentioned Wisconsin, even going back to Utah State and Hawaii. Uh, I think just in terms of personality, you know, he, sure, he's a defensive guy. He's also just kind of a quiet head coach. You know, you're, you're kind of, if you're thinking about personalities, he's not the, you know, the most, I guess, outgoing, kind of loudest guy in the room um, from a coaching perspective. I think he's very, just in, you watch him in interviews, he's very cerebral. He's just kind of a thinker. Um, so a little bit different personality maybe than some coaches would have, but he's been successful at every stop. And I think kind of the interesting thing that happened over the last kind of two years was he was making, I think, over $2 million as the defensive coordinator for LSU. And I, I kind of thought that he was just pretty comfortable as a defensive coordinator I figured if anything, he would go to the NFL and be a defensive coordinator there. But then you saw his name pop up at UNLV. And then there was kind of this, this news cycle where he was starting to get more traction as a head coach. He was ready to be a head coach. So something, I guess he just felt ready over the last year and a half or two years that it was time for him to be a head coach. And of course, winning the national championship they pretty much accomplished everything he could at LSU. I think in, in terms of what I'm looking for from Dave Aranda at, at Baylor, I am really curious about the offensive coordinator position. We have seen head coaches that were defensive coordinators at times struggle to find the right fit as offensive coordinator. And that's going to be, I think, his most important hire going forward is who does he hire for his OC, especially we know in the Big 12, um, offense kind of rules the day. But Dave Miranda, one of the best defensive minds in college football, Baylor's defense was great this year. And even though they got a lot of pieces gone, I think Dave Miranda will keep that group playing well. And I think long-term, he's a great fit at Baylor. Yeah, you know, he's mentioned, I think he wants to run an offense similar to what LSU had this past season, which, you know, after seeing how successful it was, that's not a surprising statement. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on on who might be a candidate there. Are there any targets that you know of that, that we could hear about as the next OC at Baylor? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I haven't heard too many names so far. And I think that's kind of, I think, I guess from him being at LSU, you know, there there is an analyst that LSU's had in an off-field role who's pretty familiar with LSU's offense. And I think the question is, does he get elevated to co-OC at LSU? If not, uh, he may be a candidate at Baylor. Um, you know, uh, that might be an option just because he would know that kind of style. Uh, Munez is his last name. I'm forgetting his first name, and I apologize for that. But he may be a candidate just from familiarity. That, that is always interesting when you're a first-time head coach. I'm sure he's got connections from across the coaching kind of sphere. But you, when you've been at one place for a couple years, um, I'm always interested just to see where those resumes are going to come in from. Are they going to be from, you know, group of five schools or kind of power five schools and and just see the connection. But, man, if they run an offense that's similar to LSU, you know, as you mentioned, it worked out great for LSU this year, winning the national championship. And I, th- I think, you know, Aranda being a defensive guy, like he knows the defenses and he hates to stop. And so I, I think he'll he'll do well in his hire. But just as a kind of a, a contrast, Manny Diaz, who was a defensive coordinator, took over at Miami. 
he's already cycling through his second offensive coordinator in his second year. And that's why I kind of think that as a defensive coach, you really got to nail this hire um, for Baylor. And especially, they got a lot of good pieces coming back next year on offense. Yeah, you know, he is rounding out his staff. Obviously, we, we've got a defensive coordinator in, in Ron Roberts, who is the D.C. At, Lu- at Louisiana, which I believe Aranda had some connections to. I found out uh, recording this on a Wednesday night that Joey McGuire will remain on staff. He's the guy that a lot of the players wanted to be named head coach. He was kind of the internal candidate. Looking at, at what he the moves he's made so far, and it's there's still quite a, a, a few roles to fill. What how, how do you think his staff is coming together? I think so far so good. Ron Roberts, um, looking when he was at Louisiana the last two years, their defense got significantly better. And Billy Napier, the head coach at Louisiana, probably going to be a guy we hear a lot about for power five jobs over the next couple of years. And he's an offensive guy, but their defense got significantly better. And he and Aranda are kind of on the same page so I think Ron Roberts kind of an underrated hire. He'll probably be one of my top 10 to 15 hires when everything kind of settles. I think keeping Joey McGuire on staff is huge. They needed someone. He can kind of be the guy that bridges the two staffs, but he's got a ton of connections within the state. And Aranda not being the guy who's been within the state of Texas and um, kind of coached there the last five to 10 years you know, having that right-hand man, so to speak, to know all those high school coaches, know all the connections, um, that's a huge win. And I, th- I think so far, I think Aranda's pretty much pushed the right button so far, just, a, you know, a week into his job. And I think he's going to round out a pretty good staff, and he's already off to a good start. From a recruiting standpoint, you know, one of the things that I've, I've heard about Coach Rule, um, he had a, a very specific types of players that he was looking for, both personality-wise and and size and fit um, th- that he wanted. So um, obviously he could recruit some some talent to Baylor. Their recruiting classes, you know, 2017, 18, 19, they weren't bad. Um, 2020, not, not the best, finished last in the Big 12, though I'm sure that might have had something to do with, you know, the potential for him leaving. But I, I'm curious with Aranda. This is a guy who Wisconsin recruits pretty well. LSU obviously recruits very well. Uh, how, how do you think he can do on the recruiting trail for Baylor? Is this a situation where he may be able to to bring in more talent than, uh, than Rule did? Um, does he have a very specific style of player that he's going to want? How, how do you think this will play out for him on the recruiting trail? That's a great question. I think the thing that I've always kind of taken from Dave Aranda is that he's very adaptable. And I think we've kind of seen that with his defenses is, you know, he's been with all the spread offenses and, passing games is that you know he's very versatile he likes to tinker with kind of different pressure packages so I think he can take a lot of different athlete types and make them fit into his defense so I think his ability to adapt and kind of use the strengths on the team he can recruit and then fit that to to make it what he needs at Baylor I will be very curious to see how well he recruits there because we, we kind of talked about the ties to Texas and, you know, I think Jimbo Fisher kind of had to learn this at Texas A&M. You know, it, it is a little bit different environment. You got to get comfortable with the, the high school recruiting circuit and all that. But I think a couple things Baylor has going for it. You mentioned the money to start out with. I mean, 
if you're Dave Aranda, build out that support staff, get all those analysts and, and other off-field support roles to help with recruiting. Baylor's been on an uptick now two different times under two different coaches, and they've had success recently. And they've you can, in the state of Texas, you can get in the car and drive around and find you know four and five star uh, players. So I think that is a question as to how high he can elevate Baylor's recruiting. But at the same time, I think he's also a pretty strong X's and O's coach can make it work. And they have the the Joey McGuire types on staff to help fill in some of those gaps in recruiting and help bring in the type of players they need to continue to push Oklahoma um, and others for the Big 12 title. So I, I do agree. I think in the long term, this is going to be a good fit. Um, in the short term, it seems to look very different from this last season. Obviously, they're losing about, I think, seven players on offense and, and five starters on, on defense from this 2019 squad that did, did pretty well. Obviously, you get you get your quarterback back, assuming that the concussions haven't, haven't in some way derailed his career and that those don't continue to pile up in his senior season. But looking at this year, I, we're going to get to your uh, early – Big 12 predictions here in a little bit, but I am curious, you put yours out before this coaching hire was made. How does this hire affect your expectations for Baylor in 2020? Does it change your feeling on on where Baylor will finish in the Big 12, or is it still about the same? I think it's about the same. Um, I have to admit, had Matt Rule come back to Baylor, I would probably have Baylor a little bit higher in my top 25. Um, I had him 25th in the top 25, but I could see him being a spot or two higher just because, or, or maybe even a little bit more, just not having that transition element to next season and just continuity. I think Baylor would have been a little bit higher, but I think you mentioned it. It's the question marks that this team faces. There's a good foundation in place from Matt rule, but offensive lines got to get better. They've got to keep Charlie Brewer healthy. Denzel Mims is gone. Uh, defense has to be rebuilt pretty much at every level. James Lynch is gone, the, the All-America defensive lineman. They also had five wins by one score and a plus 11 turnover margin. And sometimes those close games can swing the other way um, pretty easily the next year. So I think Baylor right there in that top 20 to 30 um, category. And I think if the transition goes pretty smooth, I think certainly I think can contend for, you know, second, third or fourth uh, in the big 12. It's going to be about reloading on defense and keeping Charlie Brewer healthy. So like I said, we're going to come back to your pre your way too early predictions for the big 12. There's a couple more coaching moves and changes in the big 12. I want to, I want to get to it. I want to talk about Texas. And this is a question I've been asking most of my guests because it's one I, I'm, I'm really curious if someone can provide me with a new answer. Obviously, Texas uh, Texas head coach Tom Herman completely overhauling his coaching staff. It's going to look very different for 2020 than it did in 2019. Uh, I, we'll get to how big I think that is for Herman and why this is kind of a, a make-or-break year, but it's it's very unusual to see a head coach completely overhaul a staff and, and have immediate success. And I think that's kind of what Tom Herman needs. This isn't a situation where he's going to have three years to prove this works. This is going to be a year maybe two, depending upon how the 2020 season goes. I'm curious if you can think of any examples, uh, similar examples that have worked out in the short term. Yeah, there is one example. Notre Dame 
in I want to say 2016 went four and eight and Brian Kelly shuffled the staff hired two new coordinators and I think they won 10 games in 2017 and then made the college football playoff in 2018 and of course they were pretty good this year too um, that's one of the examples that comes to mind right away but I think I think kind of the, the point that you're kind of getting at is the immediate pressure to win for Tom Herman and making all these changes but I also think the backdrop for Texas is they have a lot of guys coming back next year so I think it, the, the contrast is going to be a lot of pressure new coaches and new schemes but there's also a lot of pieces in a senior quarterback who's been pretty good um, in Austin the last couple of years so uh, Texas will not lack for intrigue next year and, and probably going to be uh, one of the bigger wild cards to figure out next year. So what do you think is the, the, the mark that Tom Herman needs to hit next season? I don't want to say he's on the hot seat. I'll, look, if they go five and seven next year, I, I think there's a very good chance he's gone. But at what point do they need to hit next year for Tom Herman to feel comfortable about being back in 2021? Or do you think no matter what happens next year, he's going to have another season to try and, and get this thing growing. You know, it, it is interesting, just to, isn't it how fast things change at Texas? <laughs> and, you know, Sam Ellinger at the Sugar Bowl saying we're back and Texas being picked in the top, you know, eight to 10 in preseason. And, um, you know, here we are a year later, Tom Herman shuffling the staff. But man, it just goes to show you how volatile college football can be. I, I think to answer your question, I think you're right when you say five and seven, four and eight, just a complete debacle would be big time, would spell big time trouble for Tom Herman. I think he would probably feel okay about eight, nine or 10. I think, I think kind of also depends too, if Texas finishes eight and five, how does that eight and five play out? Is it a lot of close losses? Do they beat Oklahoma and maybe lose to someone else? If they get to 10 wins and they meet the early uh, prediction by some to finish second or third in the Big 12, I think they feel pretty good about that. But, you know, it is it is one of those things that stability at Texas and I think trying to figure out where this team is, is hard to figure out right now. And I think getting to that 8, 9, or 10 win mark is probably – an area that I think Tom Herman would probably feel pretty secure about going into to, uh, 2021. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I have a hard time with a 10-run regular season for Texas next season. Not saying it can't happen, but um, road trip to LSU, who will obviously be very different than they are this year, um, but that's still a, a challenging game. Obviously, they've got Oklahoma on the schedule. They've got to go to Oklahoma State. They've got some. They've got some games on the schedule, and and so far, I haven't I haven't seen enough out of Tom Herman and Texas to go. That's a team I I trust to win ten games in the regular season. So I I mean, it is going to be a very to be a big storyline all year how Texas looks. A um, couple one other coaching thing I want I want to ask your opinion on Oklahoma State. Obviously, their offensive coordinator Sean Gleason moving on to to Rutgers after one season in Stillwater. Uh, OSU uh, getting back their wide receiver coach and Casey Dine to take over as as OC, and then bringing in uh, Tim Rattay, who was a, a I guess a Louisiana Tech legend at quarterback who uh, spent some time with the Washington Redskins is now going to be the quarterback coach. I'm curious your opinion on on this hire for Oklahoma State. Obviously, offense is big at OSU. Um, you've got 
Chuba Hubbard coming back, Tylen Wallace coming back, Spencer Sanders coming back from injury. So there's a lot of expectations in Stillwater. They had a, a pep rally on Tuesday, and you've got Chuba talking about going to the national championship. And I can tell you why that's a little bit silly, but I don't want to get into it. But <laughs> I am curious from your standpoint, um, Casey Dunn, first time OC, but he's been with the program for a long time. What what do you think of that hire, and, and how do you think that might work in Stillwater? I think when I think about Oklahoma State, I think about something that Mike Gundy has said a lot and or I guess kind of hinted about is that, you know, Oklahoma State has an offense and he likes the coordinators to build and maintain what they have. So I, I don't think you'll see a lot of changes. Essentially, Mike Gundy being an offensive guy, they've had a similar scheme and set up the last couple of years with different coordinators. I don't expect Oklahoma State to really miss a beat on offense, especially with the firepower they have and, you know, with some of the pieces coming back up front. I think this is kind of a continuity play. And I think Mike Gundy's offenses have pretty much shown that year after year they're going to be pretty good. So I don't I don't really expect too many rocky moments for Oklahoma State. But you know, in, anytime you, you do change coordinators, there's, there's always that potential. But as you mentioned, uh, Casey Dunn's been in the program now for some time. So I, I, I would feel okay if I'm an Oklahoma State fan right now. So let's dive into your way too early Big 12 predictions. Obviously, you have Oklahoma number one. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. I would I would almost argue that they are a far and away number one, and I would put them as a lock to be back in the Big 12 championship game again this season. Um, just run down the top few teams. you got Texas at two, Oklahoma State at three, Iowa State at four, Baylor at five, TCU at six and Kansas State down at seven. I'm not. I'm not going to worry about the last couple because I don't. I mean, I, I think West Virginia will make some progress. But, anyways, um, I, I'm curious from your perspective. Um, I think OU is is pretty significantly ahead of the rest of the pack. But how much of a gap is there in your mind between Texas at number two and I mean I'll go all the way down to Kansas State at number seven. Not a ton. I, I, I think Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Baylor are all kind of grouped in one tier. And then I like a little bit of a gap to TCU and Kansas State. Um, just some big picture thoughts. When I did the early top 25, I had Texas at 14 and Oklahoma State at 19. That was before. Uh, Hubbard came back for Oklahoma State. I would probably move Oklahoma State up a couple spots had I known he was coming back. So I, I think the gap right almost in my mind right now, this number two spot's going to come down to Texas and Oklahoma State. I am really intrigued by Iowa State. You know, Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, uh, Charlie Kohler, that's a man, that's going to be a fun trio to watch next year but I'm a little bit worried about that offensive line with four new starters and of course we talked about Baylor so I I kind of think we're you know separating the teams into tiers you know the, the Texas through Baylor tier is one then TCU and Kansas State but I could also be convinced that maybe Texas and Oklahoma State are kind of in their own with Iowa State and Baylor in that next one but there's not a ton of separation I think maybe right now all seven of those teams in the top 45 to 50 nationally, I think. Okay. So I'm I'm running this season with a theory that you know, since the Big 12 title game has come back, Oklahoma's faced TCU and then Texas and then Baylor. So it's been a different team each time. 
I'm under the opinion that, and I feel pretty comfortable in saying that Oklahoma will face a different team in the championship game for a fourth straight season. Um, I don't think TCU is going to be there this year. Uh, And I feel pretty good with what Baylor has lost, how many close games they won last season, and what the coaching change that it, I would be very surprised if Baylor was able to to get back there again this year. So basically, I feel like it's Texas, which is the the guy the team that could get back there again, or I I choose from a field of uh, basically of of Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and and I'll be honest, I think I have Kansas State a little bit higher in my in my predictions than you do at this point. Um, I'll just say in, in climbing, we trust at this after after his first season there in Manhattan. Where, where would you have? Where, I'm curious. Where would you have them? Because I, I I like the the foundation and I like climbing, but I'm I'm worried about the offensive line and some of the defensive line losses. And and I with Baylor's transition, I had a hard time kind of sorting out those you know four through seven teams. So I, I'd kind of be curious where you have them. I think I would have I would move Kansas State up to five, and then drop Baylor back to six and TCU. I honestly with TCU. Um, I don't know between seven and eight because I do wonder if West Virginia, you saw the progress that Neil Brown made in year one. Um, I think they found their quarterback by the end of the season. And I, and I almost wonder if if I might put West Virginia at seven, put TCU all, all the way down at eight. And I, I, I like Gary Patterson. I, I really do. But I mean, I've, I've talked to enough TCU people that they are they are legitimately concerned about the state of the program and the team heading in next year and and really just just the state of the op- offense especially like i think tc's defense is fine but their offense is a concern and so i i think i i will agree with with ou at one i'm going to be a little bit of a homer and have osu two and texas three and, and i agree that the the separation between those two is really going to come down to i think who wins that season finale in in stillwater over thanksgiving weekend we'll decide which one finishes ahead of the other um, I really like Iowa State. I think they they found a stud in Brees Hall. They really did, and I, and he started to kind of come on at the end of the season. And I think he's going to be a difference maker in the Big Twelve. I like Kansas State at five. I do. I think I think Kleiman knows what he's doing, and I think he we saw some some bumps and some decisions from him this season that I, I assume he's going to learn from. I think he got conservative at the end of games uh, because he was able to at, at North Dakota State a lot because they were able to do so. And I, and I think it almost cost him the game against OU. And I think that's um, I think that's just the guy knows how to coach, but there was a bit of a transition from the FCS to the, to the FBS level. And, I, and I'm, I'm curious if he if he's gotten past those and he's learned from those mistakes. I think Kansas State, even with with what they have to replace, I think they could I think they could continue to be a, a solid program and finish around fifth place. I totally agree. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I think a lot of what we're getting at is there's probably going to be a lot of four and five, five and four in the Big 12 standings next year in the middle of the conference. It's going to be pretty tight. And and I, you know, Kansas State won five out of their last eight games and they got a quarterback in, in Skylar Thompson who's been pretty efficient and, and pretty solid and coming back for that second year under the same coaching staff is, is a big deal. And so I like where this team is headed, even though they've got some losses on the trenches, but, you know, kind of like Bill Snyder did, he got the most out of the roster. I think you, you kind of have to feel the same way about Chris Kleiman, that if there's a team who is kind of the wild card, maybe they have some losses on paper, but they're a lot better than we think it's probably going to be Kansas state. Yeah. No, I, and again, I, I'm with you. I, I, 
I don't think there's a ton of separation throughout the conference. I think the top of the conference is OU. I think the bottom of the conference is is Kansas and Texas Tech. And then I man, it's it's hard to say there's just a ton of separation, especially you look at last season. How many how many teams won and lost very close games? I mean, the difference between Iowa State finishing higher and, and Baylor finishing lower, we're talking like a handful of points. And so I, I don't look at the conference next season and say these teams have added the kind of, of talent to their rosters to, to suddenly make them significantly better than than they were last year. And I, I think, again, outside of Oklahoma, Texas will be healthy and that will give them an advantage because they have Oklahoma-like talent on the roster. I just, I don't, you know, when, when you overhaul a coaching staff like that, that's going to it's going to leave you with some growing pains and some and some some things to deal with. I just I feel like two through seven we're going to see another situation of the team that can finish games and and, and win close games is going to be the team that finds himself in, in facing Oklahoma in Dallas next year. You mentioned close games. I, I was looking back at my notes. Iowa State had six losses. Um, you know, but, but, you know, by 10 points or less. So they, they, excuse me, they lost six games, but five came by 10 points or less. And we mentioned the big, the big uh, close wins by Baylor. And you talk about that edge to live on, you know, by one score, one score here or there, the, all of a sudden the, the big 12 standings at the year look a little different. And that, that goes to the top 25 too. I mean, if you switch a few W's and L's in the top 25, all of a sudden a team like, like Iowa state who finished outside of it, if they flip two of those losses by a touchdown into wins, they finish, you know, eight and four or nine and three in the regular season. And they're frankly, they're probably starting a little bit higher in the preseason polls next year. So you're right. I mean, finishing is going to be um, kind of a, a deciding factor because these teams are so close and, you mentioned West Virginia. I, I, I'm with you. I think they will be better. And I really like Neil Brown. You could tell last season that despite the personnel shortcomings, I mean, they were fighting in every game, the Baylor game, the TCU game at the end of the year. So um, I think West Virginia and Kansas State already look like they really nailed those coaching hires um, last offseason. Yeah, I don't, I don't think coaching is the issue in the Big 12, to be honest. I think it's still just an issue of – uh, of recruiting uh, compared to other conferences like the ACC, Big Ten, and Big Twelve, I don't, I don't think coaching is is the issue. Because top to bottom, I think the Big Twelve's got one of the 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 deepest head coaching collections of of, ever, of any conference. I mean, we can debate Les Miles down at Kansas. Um, if you want to say he's not great, that's that's fine. But I I would I would argue compare him at the bottom to the bottom of the SEC or the bottom of the ACC or the bottom of the Big Ten, and I and I feel like even even Kansas and Texas Tech down there at the bottom feel like we've there's better coaches at the bottom of the twelve than just about any other big Power Five conference could argue. I totally agree. I mean, that's that's I was thinking about our Big Twelve coach rankings later this off season, and I was just coming up with like instant dread because I have no idea who to put at ten. I mean, you know, Les Miles has won a national championship at LSU. Um, Kansas showed some signs of life early in the year; they tailed off late. But man, this this conference is is got some great coaches. A guy like Matt Campbell, 
um, an up and comer. You got guys like Mike Gundy who've been there and done it and Lincoln Riley, of course, what he's doing at Oklahoma. And I, I think even, even a guy like Matt Wells at Texas tech, they had a, a rough first season, but they lost Alan Bowman early in the year when their best offensive lineman got hurt. So the, you're right. Coaching is not the problem in this league from a head coaching perspective. There are plenty of good head coaches and really not a weak link right now in the league. Well, Steven, uh, I think that about wraps it up for us. I just want to say thank you for coming on the show as always. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on here, and I don't mind going a little bit long when you're here. Um, I do want to talk real quick. Um, you guys are starting to put together the magazine right now. How's that uh, How's that going, and when should we expect to see it hitting store shelves? Yeah, believe it or not, we started the magazine production process um, back around Thanksgiving, and so I've just slowly but surely – um, accumulating some data and accumulating some other things. You know, we're working on a lot of the stuff that you'll see for in the magazine pages, like stats and returning leaders. We had a meeting to discuss covers, um, who's going to be on all of our covers this year and, and getting that process started. So, you know, some of the early rankings that you see is me starting to build research and build files on every team for next season. So we, we're just getting started and the magazine should be hitting um, newsstands right now around May 20th or so. Um, we're still trying to nail that down. So it's coming up fast. And uh, before you know it, it'll be here and spring practice will be over. And I'll be looking forward to talking some more uh, rankings, predictions, and, and everything else with you this summer. Absolutely. Man, spring ball will be here. Can't be here soon enough. The season can't start soon enough, but we've got the long, uh, no football winter to get through for a while. Steven, uh, Dude, keep up the great work. Uh, we'll continue to share everything you do with Athlon Sports because you guys do a great job over there. Uh, for everybody who wants to keep track of the things that you're posting throughout the year, where can they do so? Sure. Check us out, athlonsports.com. We're college football 24-7-365. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter, too, at Athlon Sports. And I'm also on there, at Athlon Steven. Steven, again, really appreciate it. Uh, and look forward to talking to you again after, after spring ball is wrapped up. Hey, Philip, anytime. Thanks for having me on, man. I always enjoy it. Sports Social Podcast Network.